Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Anna Lee. And Anna's impressive career journey led her to senior roles and even an expat assignment in Switzerland. And however, in 2022, she made the decision to retire and focus on her other passions. She's a busy mom of three, a real estate investor, and a business owner. She's realized the importance of delegating tasks and has outsourced her busy work to virtual assistants. And she's been able to find more time for what truly mattered. And motivated by her entrepreneurial spirit, she's been able to establish a global staffing company to help other business owners become strategic and reclaim their own time. So Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Eileen. So Anna, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure, absolutely. Back in 2016, we had a sort of like this miracle happen when my husband was laid off from his job and one of us always wanted to go out of this corporate world and he just got lucky to be first in line and he ventured out into flipping and we create kind of a tag team while I was still working. I was his sort of like financial person because I have a background in finance, finding the money and evaluating the deals. And he started uh, with his first flip. And I think that's basically how we got started. And the first flip took a long time with analysis paralysis. But in the end of the day, we kind of assumed that, hey, even if we lose money on the first flip, well, we're never going to lose everything. It's a physical asset. So even if we were to lose, I don't know, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, that's sort of like tuition for the education. So he ended up making probably about $15,000 in the first flip. It's not great based on current standards, but we kind of assumed, hey, we just got paid for learning, right? So that was his first and kind of started from there and got addicted to everything real estate. Especially on the first flip, there's so much that goes into that, that the fact that you didn't lose money is a success in that in the whole venture already. (laughs) Exactly. We were ecstatic for sure. So from there, after the first flip, did you decide to continue flipping or what else did you decide to do after that? Yes. So my husband definitely was hooked. He's like, okay, I'm going to find another one. The first one we found on MLS. And of course, you know, finding deals on MLS is pretty hard. You're kind of in the mercy of waiting out what's going to come out. And at the time, actually, I was offered a job in Switzerland. So he was just getting started, really enjoyed the whole process. And he's like, dang it, like, I just, just wanted to, you know, start my own thing. And I said, well, let's try to figure out how to do it from overseas. My dad was still here. So he was pretty flexible and we decided to partner up with him. He became a boots on the ground person, essentially, because with anything flipping or rentals, you just need that trusted person that you can just ask them, hey, be my eyes, be my sort of kind of controller and manager and everything else. So that worked out pretty nicely. So we decided to leave, stayed in Switzerland for about four years and continued to flip about two to three houses a year. 
which was keeping us occupied and busy. And I think maybe two or three years in, we just kind of randomly stumbled upon a rental. I just flew in for the business trip back to the United States, looked at one property and I just kind of bought it, right? It was just very random. You know, there was not a lot that kind of went into it. It wasn't any value add deal. But at this point, I bought it in 2018. So probably tripled in value because it was a condo. It was a pretty nice place, but it was very cheap to buy. So every time we would dabble into something new within real estate, it was more and better. So kind of that's where we are right now. At this point, where we've done a lot of the single family rentals. We utilize Burr model, of course. Now it becomes harder and harder with the interest rates going up too. To do the last R, refining. <laughs> <laughs> what was the time difference between the US and Switzerland? For the most part, six hours. Six hours. So you're working and coordinating times between the time difference there. Yeah. I mean, essentially it worked out really nice. I was only involved again on maybe like in the very beginning to just kind of run the numbers, get the financing and towards the tail end with comping and everything else. And my husband was kind of navigating the project through my dad, who was boots on the ground. And, you know, he could just be on the phone maybe an hour a week, to be honest, right? It wasn't even more than that. So it worked out really nicely for what we had to do. And the time difference worked in our favor because by the time it was maybe 9 p.m., the kids were in the bed and my husband could make a call and straight, like make it everything work nice or check on everything. So I guess it would really work towards our advantage. It's interesting because you hear a lot about people managing their real estate from abroad, but it's mostly about rentals because you're working directly with a property management team. And so doing the flipping, because it's so active, it's interesting that you guys have been able to be successful in that overseas as well. But it worked out because you guys had a really strong boots on the ground person that you can probably contact at any time. Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, it doesn't have to be your relative or friend or something like that. It just kind of worked out for us. But in the end of the day, it could be anyone, could be engineer or anyone else who is retired necessarily, maybe who really just understands what needs to be done. And I think that person also needs to be not a softie because with contractors, you just have to yell at them every day because with contractors, it's always the three variables, the time, the money, and the quality. And one of these things will suffer <laughs> dramatically. And the time of quality, sometimes that's kind of comes out as a more common issue. So that person has to be somebody who is comfortable being strict and monitoring all the deliverables. So for you, at what point did you start getting more active in the real estate investing side of things versus just working the books? And because you were still working your full-time job at that time too, at what point did you start to pivot and get more involved? I think it was the last year when I was still in Switzerland, I decided to open a wholesaling company. And primary reason was not for actual wholesaling, but I just wanted to generate leads so I can get those not off MLS deals for ourselves because it kind of became harder and harder to grow essentially, right? So we've only been doing three flips in a year. So I decided to start at that. I kind of signed up for a website so that I can get SEO. And I wanted to be sort of like, how can I do it while I'm still working? And who else can support me in that process? So partially it was a lot of sort of outsourcing and hiring people. 
And the time difference really, again, worked to my advantage. I would finish, let's say, at 5 and 6 p.m. Swiss time and have my dinner, spend the time with kids, whatever. But 9 p.m., I just start working on wholesaling business. It's like 9 to 12. I was basically up and running and setting everything up. As it kind of gradually progressed and I needed to deploy different marketing strategies, I hired more virtual assistants. Some people were cold calling for me. Others were texting for me. So that's how I was only sort of involved when I had to only talk with hot or warm leads. So I wasn't constantly involved in the business. So that definitely helped me get started. And by the time I arrived back to United States, I was already one year sort of into wholesaling. When you first started using virtual assistants, how did you get started with that? And how did you start to delegate some of your tasks? Sure. I think with, let's say like the first probably person that I ever hired was just a project-based person for SEO. I just went on Upwork and just hired somebody. With the cold callers and texters, that's more like your employee, right? When you hire somebody to work for you 40 hours a week, you have to manage them. And I do have experience managing people from my corporate job, but I didn't know the first thing about hiring an employee, let's say from Philippines. So I just followed the trajectory of people in my mastermind at the time, and everyone was hiring from this one agency. So I just followed the lead and hired people from that agency. It didn't really work out well for me. I'm not regretting the experience because I actually learned a lot along the way. But the reason why it didn't work out, it was an agency. So their kind of model is, hey, we're going to deploy a manager and the manager will manage that VA. So I was like, great, I'm working. I don't have to get involved in this and not manage my people. This is the biggest lie. (laughs) As a business owner, you have to manage your people. It's It's just impossible not to, unless you already have a big staff and you have operating manager, then you can remove yourself. But as you're starting out, it's basically impossible to not manage your own people. So the manager training the VA and me training the manager just created more problems because there was a lot that was lost in translation. One VA didn't work out for a very random reason. It could be done with anyone. It doesn't have to be necessarily because of the agency. She was just kind of kind of rude with one of the sellers on the phone. But then the other one, I think maybe two months into it, like we had a good sort of a good process going. Two months into it, he just kind of disappeared, like not responding to me, not responding to the agency. And like in a few days, they said, let's get you another person. At this point, I already had, I was on the second person. I kind of retrained again. So I was like, you know what? Let me just take a break. It was just not working out the way that I wanted to. But as I was sort of working with VAs, I understood what are the pitfalls of the management? What are the best ways to hire? Because they would give me some candidates that really like didn't work out for me and didn't really like them. So I just said, what if I do it myself? And I created the process for myself and I started following. And I hired my first person by myself just from start to finish. I created the job description, posted it on the places where I found to be most sort of kind of lucrative for virtual assistants to be at, created my interview guide and hired my first and best. This person is still with me till this day. And I was like, okay, I think I'm onto something. 
And then I continue to just use my process and hire people for myself. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. For your process and hiring for your own personal virtual assistants, how did that develop into starting up your own virtual assistants company? That's a funny story. You and I talked about before about Elaine. She's part of my mastermind. So one day we were on the mastermind call talking about and sharing different business ideas and stuff like that. And she said, Anna, you always talk about virtual assistants. How do you hire them? Like, what do you do? And I said, well, just let's set up some time and I'll walk you through my process. And by then, Elaine was not the first person asking me about it, probably 10th or 20th person. And I kind of kept repeating myself. And at that point, I already had everything laid out, right? Not necessarily that it was kind of easier for me. I already knew the process. But in order to teach someone, you kind of want to walk them through the process, right? So I said, like, this is like how I create job description. It has to be short. It has to be concise, this and that. This is the form that I use. And I've already tested that form multiple times. And this is the best way to find a lot of people to apply. So I kind of went through the whole process. By the end of this, she's like, how much do I owe you? I said, what what do you mean? You're my friend. It's like, you have something here. You have to record a course or something. You just have to start charging for that. I'm like, you're silly. I just just know it because I needed to do it for myself. She's like, no, no, no. You you definitely should do it. So I was like, I don't know. So I pondered on that. And then the rest of the group and mastermind, they kind of said the same thing. Like, you should do it. I don't want to watch this course. You should totally do it. So I was kind of encouraged and took two days. I asked my husband, can you please just take kids? for a couple of days and I'll just kind of dive in. Uh, and it was the only thing that I needed to do for that weekend. So magically I created the outline, all the course and everything else. And the second day I just recorded it. And so I started with a course and I was like, at the minimum, what I'm going to do with a course, because I also found all the free platforms to post it. So I, it didn't cost me anything besides my time in that weekend. So let me just kind of post it out and see if there's any demand for real. And I shared it first in my mastermind. People started buying it and then they started sharing with other people. And I continued to have sales. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did not like this was just complete accident and not expecting you out of this. And the best part out of this is probably not even that the sales started, is that every business owner who took the course, they said, Oh my gosh, this is just such a copy and paste process. I was able to repeat it within an hour. And I have 80 candidates applied. I have 100 candidates applied. And I didn't know how easy it was. My business is growing. Thank you so much. So hearing all of that just made me feel so good because I know how easy it is for me to run so many businesses only because of the help of outsourcing. So it just kind of warms my heart to see other business owners growing because of that. 
And I guess the last part is few of the initial people who took the course said, you know what? It's amazing. I know the process and everything's great, but I just don't have time anymore. I'm growing. Like there's no more time. Can you actually hire for me? And it just, again, another magic that happened. I connected with a group of virtual assistants and I said, let's trial it out. You guys, if you want to work for me, we'll create the company that would just kind of do the whole sourcing process. We tried it and it worked great. So, you know, I still work with the team and created the company essentially out of this. And now we provide sourcing services for busy entrepreneurs and we're pretty much working in the business and want to fire themselves as, as soon as possible, or at least have that help and grow. So we started offering the service of just doing the same thing, but everything that I teach in the course, but just kind of even outsource that last part of sourcing. So once you have that process and you have the requisition out there, now you're getting a bunch of candidates coming in into your inbox for review and for interviews. How do you take that and how do you dwindle down? And what makes the interviewing process successful so that you can hire on the right people for your team? Sure. We have a very rigorous protocol that it kind of morphed from how I started to how we're going forward. For the most part, like our statistics is we have about 50 to 100 candidates applied. It depends on the role. Some roles we have a ton. Other roles could be very unique. So we don't have that many. But in the end of the day, my team narrows it down to a very kind of qualified candidate. And they interview about 25 to 30 people. And we only put through top three candidates. So that just whole stacking, right? And getting them down to, you know, not only how do they show on the resume, but how do they perform during the interview? What's their vibe? What's their personality? So all the customers are getting essentially a top three candidates with a package of resume, disc profile, and video recorded interview. So I, I wanted to make it easy for a business owner you don't even have to interview that person. After you watch that interview, it's as if you did that, right? And you can gauge that person. You can understand how they act. Of course, you don't eliminate the human factor where people could just be great as they interview and they can make up stuff <laughs> as much as they want. But most of the time, this rigorous process helps us to vet out any bad actors or just generally mediocre candidates because we want that aha moment from every business owner to be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because a lot of the times we have brand new business owners that just trying to grow or they're already there, like their systems are broken or something else is broken and they desperately need to have a person to grow. So it's just nice to see them happy with that support. So one of the things that you had struggled also with virtual assistants was the turnover aspect of it and not getting the qualified candidates and having to retrain because it takes time and effort on your part, which as a busy professional, you don't have time to do that. And as a mom of three. Yeah. So what are some of the factors that help you to be successful in retaining the VAs that you hire? Absolutely. So presuming that they went through this process, which already helps us out to find the best candidates. As everyone knows, right? Hire slow, fire fast. So once I onboard somebody, for the most part, I don't even do the trainings anymore. That's the beauty of having even more people, right? You can have one VA train another VA. But let's say this is a new business endeavor. For example, last year we started 
short-term rentals. So I've hired virtual assistants for that. And I essentially sort of had to train them, even though I knew nothing about short-term rentals and all the systems and how to navigate. So we actually found a virtual assistant who knew more than I did, right? They already navigated all the systems. So that was really helpful. But in terms of metrics in general, right, you want to start them with, hey, those are the initial basic KPIs. Don't get them like fully loaded, maybe right away. Those are the initial basic KPIs that you know that they're capable of doing from the get-go. And you just watch them for two weeks. If they don't deliver, if they don't show up on time, if they're late, if they come up with some excuses, oh my gosh, I had this or that, you know, within one week, I know whether that person is going to stay with us. And again, that doesn't happen too often because we source pretty well. But if it does, we just kind of say, sorry, it's not going to work out. And I say the same thing to all of our customers too. If you don't see deliverables, just start with easy deliverables. But if you don't see that commitment like in the first couple of weeks, let just like let us know because we always offer a 30-day replacement. So for the most part, again, we don't have that many customers coming back to us, but just letting them know that you need to kind of get them started and see the results right away and kind of if you're not happy, tell us right away. And that seems to be working really good. So Anna, what's next for you and what's your next focus? Oh gosh, you know, this whole kind of virtual assistant management became its own entity, became its own business. So besides running, wholesaling, helping my husband with flipping in a rentals and now I own short-term rentals and this company growth, there's one passion of mine I'm really passionate about, holistic medicine, kind of near and dear to my heart. So I'm dabbing into a possibility of having my own startup in the holistic medicine. It's kind of more to come, but I'm always looking for something new. And again, the only reason I'm able to do all of that (laughs) is that I'm just like a queen of outsourcing. And there are a lot of people behind me who support me. And I'm very grateful for every single one of them. And you ask that question, how do you retain people? I treat them like part of my team. I treat them almost like part of my family. And it's not just some random person that I don't know in Philippines. I almost know their family status, how old are their kids and what are the names, right? It's just very important for me to create that bond because I'm so grateful for every single person that supports me. So yeah, I'm dabbing into this holistic environment. And I don't know if I mentioned about a year ago, I actually quit my job. So I do have more time for (laughs) myself and just taking care of the rest of the family. So really quick on that, congratulations on being able to make that move and transition. What point did you realize that was time for you to transition into this next phase of your life? Sure. I think my plan was everyone in real estate has this magic number, right? So this is my sort of coverage of all of my bills and passive income. That's when I'm going to quit. And I think for me, I was on a trajectory by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be turning 40 this year, but it happened last year. I'm going to reach this number. And this number is actually a moving target, to be honest, right? Inflation or this and that, like it could be anything that would impact this. For me specifically, what pushed me to do that sooner rather than later is my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I was pretty much at the ticking time bomb, right? And there's a lot that goes in the perspective when you realize that one of your loved ones is having that major event of their life. You're just like asking yourself, what am I doing this for, right? And how much more can I spend working for a corporate job? 
I was grateful for everything that I had in that job. Like there was nothing that I actually didn't like. I could easily stay with my job for a while, but my decision was based solely on, I just want to have that time. And even though I outsourced a lot, I just wanted to have that personal time, right? I was able then to take him to all the doctor's appointments and go places with him and, you know, spend a lot of the quality time that I probably wouldn't have a chance to do that. And I'm also very, very grateful that real estate did provide a huge support for us in this way. I can tell you that I did not quit because I hit that metric. I did not hit that number. So we still kind of actively have to work on bringing the income besides having the passive income. And I just wanted to say that a lot of investors think that this time will come and then they'll do something. But it's almost like, you know, waiting for the retirement And then some people just retire and then they have a heart attack, right? So I'd say there is no magic time. The time is always now. So for me, that was just probably a trigger to do it then and couldn't be more happier. I spent a good year and a half with my dad. That was absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, Anna. Sure. So what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Buy, 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 buy. Always buy. Whenever you're hesitant and you don't think it's going to work out, everything's going to work out eventually. (laughs) So yes, when I bought that first condo, I bought it for $50,000. I mean, where can you see $50,000? It was rented out for $1,000 right away. I mean, I don't know why I didn't buy twenty. dollars (laughs) It's just like I cautiously was just going in. Let's give it a try. Let's see for a couple of years. And a couple of years, it was already 70. And then now everything is worth 120. So yeah, my advice is you'll figure it out. Just buy it. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? It's a good question. I think just perseverance. And I think it's kind of in every aspect of life. You just have to keep going forward, right? So never give up. I don't know. It's just, it sounds so cliche, but you probably saw a couple of those images where a person is digging the hole to find this treasure and then they just kind of stop maybe like a one foot before they got to the treasure. So I think in this or probably in anything in the world, you just kind of have to keep on moving and keep on going forward and you'll eventually get there. Some people will get there fast and other will get there slower, but eventually probably everyone will get there if they're just kind of persevere with that. So Anna, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Sure. Your listeners can go to outsourceyourtasks, it's plural.com, or you can reach out to me at Anna at outsourceyourtasks.com. I'm happy to answer any questions or if they go on my website, they can schedule a free consultation. I'm always happy to share anything I know about sourcing virtual assistants. Awesome. Anna, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. 
Download your free copy today at bonifacecapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.